Feliz Navidad. My name is Lupita Howell. Today I have the privilege of sharing with you about hope. When we speak about hope, we must also talk about faith because if we don't have faith, we don't have hope. Faith and hope are inseparable. So what is hope? Biblical hope is a true expectation about the future. It is a certainty and not a probability. For example, I have faith that God will give me the wisdom to cope with whatever comes my way. And also, I trust that God will keep his promises. Let's read Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. These verses tell us of his promises. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have, have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at the harvest time and as they rejoice when the Biden spoils. For you have a shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Median. For every trumpet with a battle and bloody garments of war will be born as a field for the fire. For a shall will be born for us. A son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be best, and his prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The seal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. During this time, the Assyrians had caused great distractions for the Northern Empire. And in the middle of this period of great darkness, God promised to send a light that will shine all those who live under the shadow of death. Verse two, prophesies about the birth of, of the Messiah and this gave the people hope. These verses still hold meaning for us now, a great meaning for us now. We're also going through a period of great darkness with this pandemic. During these dark times, we must cling to the promise of God and have hope that Jesus will return to gather his people. This year, also a new president of the United States took office. While we do pray for our government and for their wisdom, we must not put our hope in a political party or politicians and keep our hope in Jesus. Last year, in October, my brother Felipe passed away from COVID-19. He was a pastor from a Christian church in Juarez, Mexico. One day after his death, my niece was operated on twice for an emergency. And at the same time, several members of my family also got COVID. More than a month passed and my daughters, my husband, and I also got COVID during Christmas time. During these difficult moments, I remember my brother who passed away who would always tell me, 
no matter what is happening, remember that God is in full control. I remember scrolling through Facebook during this time and I see one of my brother's last sermons that was recorded before he passed away. In this sermon, he reminded his congregation about what Paul tells us in Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he also said, my hope is that when, when I die, I will be with God for an eternity. I would be lying if I say that my brothers did not cause me a lot of pain and tears. But God has given me the strength and a peace that goes beyond all understanding. I know that my brothers is delighting with the Lord. And my hope is that when I die, we will rejoice and praise together for an eternity to God. So, where is your hope founded? In your career? In your business? In your finances? All these are temporary. Only through Jesus can we live with confidence. We can handle all struggles when our hope is founded in Christ. And we depend completely on Him. Today, we celebrate the hope that God gave us through the birth of Jesus, the light that our Father God offered the world, who is the physical representation of hope. Thank you. Eleven o'clock. Good morning. Woo! Merry Christmas, guys. This is a very special day for me because this is the only day of the year that we get to see our beloved pastor in something other than a t-shirt, all right? He dressed up for you guys. He's wearing a sweater, he looks magnificent, all right? So he's gonna come up here in a few minutes and I hope that you give him a shout of praise so loud that maybe he can do this twice a year. Hey guys, I am Eric Farmer, and it is my honor to be able to speak to you about the Advent candle of love. And the scripture I've been asked to speak on comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And I hope that we can have a real and genuine conversation about what it looks like to live out God's principle of love in our lives. So let's get into it. Paul writes this while in prison. He says, If then... There is any encouragement to Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves." Everyone should, look not out, not, everyone should look out not for the interest of their own, but rather for the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant 
and taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. So when I read that passage, I think it's pretty straightforward, right? Most of us can read that and we understand what we are called to do. God's principles are straightforward. What does he tell us to do? He tells us to adopt his same attitude, right? To make his joy complete by thinking the same way. He tells us to be humble and put others first. He tells us to love others. But though these principles are easy, the application can be difficult. And the application is difficult because we are involved, right? We are imperfect. I am imperfect. At times, I don't always love my wife as I should. I am called to love my wife the same way that Jesus loves the church. I don't always model biblical love for my son. And often, I dislike humanity. And I can take the frustrations of this world out on the people that I care most about. But my failures are just that. They're on me. What I mean by that is without Christ, I will always fail at these things. Without knowing who Jesus Christ is, without having his spirit inside of me and filling me with love so I can go out into this community and serve others, I don't have a shot. But there's good news. In Romans, Paul asked the question, what can separate us from God's love? He goes on to answer it, and it's a verse that's been stuck in my head for about two years now. He says, I am persuaded. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things of the present, nor things to come will ever be able to separate you from God's love. Nothing. He loves us, church. He loves us so much. And if we know that he loves us, and if we know who Jesus Christ is, are we applying his principles in our life? I'm gonna ask you, are you serving your community? Right, Jesus said he came to serve, not to be served. We are all called to serve in a different way. And that looks different in every one of our lives. You know, when I think about serving, I think of a friend of mine, a friend of mine that had a career, he had a 401k, and he gave it all up. And he quit his job, he cashed in his 401k, and he started a nonprofit called Endure. A lot of you guys know him, right? That's Joel, he comes to this church, but he started a nonprofit because he couldn't stomach watching homeless children play in the field every day. And every day he goes out into this community and he loves those kids. He clothes those kids, he feeds them, and he teaches them basic life skills, like how to operate a stove, because the only thing that they know how to heat food up with is the microwave in a hotel room. He does all this out of love. He does all of this because he has experienced the love of God 
and he knows what it's like to feel loved and he goes out and he loves his community. Not for him, but because he loves the Lord. So I'm gonna ask you, are you checking in with people close to you? All right, we're called to humble ourselves, to deny ourselves. Once again, I can stand up here and talk to you guys for hours about my failures in that. At, time I'm self, at times, I'm selfish, right? I'm conceited. I can put my wants and my needs above others, but that is not who we are called to be. Are you making that extra text or phone call to your friends and family? Because this life can be very difficult. It can be rough. And at times, we can feel alone. But you are not alone. I am not alone. Christ gives us each other. In Galatians, Paul tells us that we are to carry one another's burdens. And that by carrying each other's burdens, it fulfills the law of Christ. So I'm gonna ask you, church, do you have people in your life that you can be brutally honest with? That you can call when you're struggling and you can confide in them with the hurts of your life? I was texting with a buddy a few months ago and I told him, I told him, I am done. I am done with the facade that everything's perfect. I am done acting like everything's great, all right? I've been guilty of this. I can put on the face, I can walk through these doors and I can start smiling at everybody and telling them how great my life is. But at time, it's not. And if I value real and genuine relationships with the people close to me, I have to be vulnerable, right? I have to let them in, and that's hard. I'm gonna ask you, how is your relationship with the most important thing in your life? That's your relationship with God. Are you humbling yourselves in the presence of God? Right, are you giving him everything? For years, I would give God some parts of my life I would repent for some sin in my life, but I wouldn't give it all to him because I harbored so much hatred and animosity against some people in my life that have done me wrong. And I kept that deep down inside of my heart. But I promise you, I give you my word. If you do this, it is the most liberating thing you will ever do in your life. Give him everything. Give him the places in your heart that you are too ashamed to tell anyone about. Give that to him and he will change you. He will transform you. He will give you a new heart. And that is the only way we can go out and love others as we are called to do. Guys, I know this season can be lonely for some of you. I know at times you can feel like you may be in a valley and you're never gonna be able to get out. But God is with you. He's always with you and he is for you and he wants to know you. So I implore you, please run to him. Run to him in all things. Guys, I love you. I love this community. This church loves you. I pray that you have a Merry Christmas as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. But most importantly, God loves you. Thank you. Man, all weekend long, it's been so hard to follow that video. All weekend long.
Man, good evening, church. I mean, good morning. How are you doing? Good. Uh, my name is Jalen Taylor. I get the honor and the privilege to be a part of our ministers and training program here, or MIT, as we call it. But most importantly, I get the honor and privilege to talk to you guys about joy. See, joy is the feeling of good pleasure and happiness that's dependent on who Jesus is rather than who we are or what our circumstances are. In other words, joy is deeper than just feelings and emotion and is rooted in the one whose name is Jesus. See, we're in the season of joy. And all around me, I see people partaking in the season, going with their family to go and do the festivities, gathering around the fire, telling stories. But for me, this season of joy has been a season of sorrow. This season... It's hard for me because I suffer from seasonal depression and anxiety, and it's tough. And everywhere I look, I see people happy and joyful, and I wonder, why can't I have that? And so what I've learned is joy is a choice. God gives us a choice to whether we have joy in this life or not. And honestly, truly, I decided to be happy instead of having joy. And so, in this season, it's hard to have joy. But Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Not because of the promised happiness, but because he knows how hard this life is. He knows how hard it is to wake up every morning to go to that job that you hate going to. He knows how hard it is to come back home with a broken family. And he knows how hard it is for me to sit alone with my thoughts. But the beauty is we get the choice to choose joy. Because not only joy is a choice, but it should be our response to when the hardship comes. So, joy is a choice and a response. And if you're here and you enjoy the holiday seasons, man, I am jealous. But if you're like me and you're struggling and the season has been dark, the season has been tough, know that joy is with you. Because the thing is, happiness is transactional. Happiness brings forth temporary things and temporary moments that bring forth temporary contentment. But joy, no, Joy is attached to the Spirit of God. And God says he brings hope to those who are hopeless. He heals the brokenhearted and heavy burden and restores the one who are broken. And so, in spite of my feelings, in spite of your feelings, joy is there. But know that in this life, there will be hardships. Because in John chapter 16, in verse 20, Paul tells us, truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And so whether life is going good for you now, or whether life comes back around at you and knocking at your door, know that you're going to be angry in some moments. Know that it's going to be hard. Know it's going to be tough. Know you're going to experience so many emotions and feelings, and that's okay. 
but it's not okay to stay that way. Because we get the promise of joy. And in the season of gift giving, God give us the gift of joy. So, when we choose joy, we're not only choosing it because of the emotions and everything that's attached to it, no, we're choosing it because we're choosing Jesus. In Matthew verses, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, if you have a handout, we're going to skip down to verse 23. It's the story of the nativity of Jesus. And all this time, I've, I've heard this, and I read it, and I missed out on a simple concept. And it says, see the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. That is the concept of joy. Because the living and breathing spirit of God is dwelling inside of us today. So no matter what happened to us, God has be with us. And wherever he is, joy will be there. So if you're struggling in this season, hold on to that joy. Cling towards Jesus because joy isn't just gifts. Isn't just people, isn't just places, and it most certainly isn't just a season. See, joy, friends, is a person, and his name is Jesus. Good morning. My name is Dina Lee, and many of you know my husband, Mike, who serves here on the team. We co lead a life group together and I serve on the congregational care team. Today, I have the privilege of speaking about peace. The first time I experienced the peace of God was when I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I've been on an amazing and many times bumpy journey with Him ever since. Through these years, I've come to see God's peace as a matter of my focus. No matter the situations I find myself in, my focus needs to be on the presence and promises of Jesus. I know he is present through his Holy Spirit, and I know the promises of his word. The only question is whether I will trust him and his promises, which is where focus comes in. I've learned that it's easy to focus on a lot of things other than Jesus and his word. I can often be like Peter, walking on the water as I focus on Jesus, but soon sinking as I take my eyes off of him and focus on the circumstances around me as the waves crash and the winds blow. Like you, I have had times where I had no control over the circumstances I faced, over the diagnosis I received, or the future that lay before me. On Monday morning, March the 22nd of this year, I was cleaning our home when the most awful headache I have ever experienced came over me. It was so painful, I began to sweat and ultimately collapsed on the couch, barely able to lift my head. I tried to call Mike, but couldn't reach him. I then called my daughter, who was able to reach Mike, and Mike called me, and as I described my symptoms, he hung up and called 911 and drove home. The first responders arrived, took my vitals, and quickly determined that I needed to be taken to the ER. I was seen by the ER doctor quickly, and he ordered a CT scan, which revealed that I had a subarachnoid hemorrhage 
which is a bleeding on the brain, later referred to as a hemorrhagic stroke. The doctor had called St. Thomas West and spoke to a neurosurgeon there, and they prepped me for an ambulance ride. The ER doctor spoke of the fear of seizures and other concerns and the seriousness of my condition. By that time, Greg Swords, one of the pastors here, had arrived, and he prayed over Mike and me as they took me to the ambulance. Arriving at St. Thomas West, I was put in neuro ICU where I would stay for eight days. The neurosurgeon told me that most likely the cause of the brain bleed was an aneurysm. He scheduled an arteriogram and said that it would show the cause of the bleed, and if it was able to be repaired, he would. But if not, he'd have to look at other options. He said that my stay in the hospital would be at least nine days and could be up to a month, depending on what they found and what needed to be done. The doctor also said there was a risk that I might not make it through the procedure, um, to which I replied, it's okay if I die. I'm going to heaven, and I'll be with Jesus. The only reason I was able to say that through the pain and the fear was through the peace of Jesus that overwhelmed me in that moment. By God's grace, the arteriogram showed no aneurysm. I was part of the 30% of subarachnoid hemorrhages not caused by an aneurysm. A vein in my head had exploded, obliterated itself, and the bleeding had stopped. I had to wait for seven more days in neuro ICU for a second arteriogram to confirm the first one. The Sunday before the second arteriogram, my daughter Madison and I were watching the online worship service of Elevation Worship. That morning, the worship team introduced the song Gyra, and the writer of the song spoke a little of what inspired him to write it. As I sat in that bed, hurting and still unsure of what the uh, final word would be about my condition, the peace of Jesus overcame me as I was reminded that he is my Gyra, my provider, and no matter the outcome, he was in control. The second arteriogram confirmed no aneurysms, and eight months later, as I stand before you today, I stand fully healed with no lingering effects of a hemorrhage. <laughs> Praise God. <clears throat> Over my life, I see the many times God has provided me peace in the midst of anxiety, fears, guilt, anger, hurt, and disappointments. I've had moments of hopelessness when I've had no control over the circumstances around me. But God was faithful through his presence and the promises of his word to bring a peace in those moments that truly did pass all understanding. As we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the birth of God the Son who is the Prince of Peace Jesus was born in anything but peaceful times. Yet through his life, his death, resurrection, and ascension, he has made it possible for us to find peace in him. And one day soon, Jesus will return to make all things new so that those who love him, those who live for him, will live with him in his peace for eternity. 
Until that day, may I encourage you to trust the promises of the scriptures concerning peace. Will you believe like Paul that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus? Will you be reminded that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace? Will you stand on the promise that the Lord of peace himself will give you peace always in every way? And will you hear the very words of Jesus in John 14, 27 and John 16, 33, who said, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled or fearful. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Merry Christmas and peace on earth to people he favors. Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. So just for the record, at 6.30 this morning, I was ironing a polo shirt. I I do own some collared shirts. And um, as I was ironing it, I must have been doing the laundry the day this happened, but there's like a, a bleach stain where it touched something with bleach. So I'm like, well, I can't wear that. And my wife was up and she said, well, why don't you wear one of your button up shirts? And I said, I will never hear the end of it if I wear a button-up shirt. So if you're new here, this is, this is formal for Corey. And uh, so, um, yeah, it's a stretch. Is it not amazing? Every year when we do admin service, um, we ask different people to speak who are not professional speakers by trade, and they always do such a phenomenal job. It is so amazing to hear them. And if you've never spoken in front of four or 5,000 people over four services on a weekend, that can be a little intimidating if it's not what you do for a living. Was it, it's the, the greatest fear that people have besides death is public speaking. And the fact that they did that, uh, it's pretty impressive. You should, you should make it a point to, to meet these individuals. They're all pretty fascinating, um, except for Eric. He's a lawyer, so we're not even sure if he's saved. So, uh, but besides that, I told him I always get to speak last, so. <laughs> On a serious note, I get, to, I get to read, I think, maybe the most important scripture. This is, this is about Jesus. I get the candle that represents Christ. And this is from Luke chapter two. This is very, very famous, but man, what a wonderful passage. Let me read this to you. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, So everyone went to be registered, each to their own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, And she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there were no guest rooms available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. 
But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. I really like this verse. I actually have it circled in my Bible. It says, but Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and she was meditating on them. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as what they had been told. When one reads the story of the birth of Jesus and you compare and contrast that with how leaders present themselves today, right? When you see the humility of the birth of Jesus and compare it to the very self-absorbed and grandiose presentation of influential people today, it is very easy to see just how countercultural Jesus has always been. Very countercultural. It's no small amount of irony that the savior of humanity, the earth, and the universe came as a poor child from a rural town that grew up in a quiet setting, eventually worked as a blue-collar handyman until his ministry began, and that he was eventually unlawfully and arrested and punished like a criminal. That sounds more like a vagabond traveler than it does the Son of God. In our day and age, we tend to value the wrong things. Jesus, in his humble beginnings, demonstrates to us that magnificence doesn't come by vain popularity or money or prestige or militant brute force. Jesus demonstrates to us that real magnificence and power comes from a submission to God. And that greatness isn't measured in earthly terms. Greatness is measured in heavenly terms. See, Jesus didn't need the approval of man. He had created man. And in this, we must learn to not measure our value based on the elaborate, shallow, and temporary metrics of the world, but on the fact that we are made by God and made in the image of God. And if we're made in the image of God, we're to live as closely as we can to him, to walk in humility and in contrast to a world that is dying. A little boy was born to grow up and be the sacrifice for us so that we may live lives worthy of being the children of God and so that we may dwell with God forever in heaven in eternal peace and security. That's what we're celebrating. That's what Christmas is. Christmas is a celebration of the beginning of the restoration process between humanity and God. That's what we celebrate. Listen, I wish you all a Merry Christmas, not because people are always good, but because Jesus is always good. I wish you a Merry Christmas, not because we have peace on earth, 
but we have an opportunity to know the Prince of Peace. I wish you a Merry Christmas because though politics convolute our society, Isaiah said the government rests on the shoulders of my Savior. I wish you Merry Christmas because even in a world that is lacking compassion and love, Christ is perfect love and he gives us the ability to love through the power of his Holy Spirit even when our neighbors are not everything we would like them to be. I wish you a Merry Christmas, not because times are easy, but because Jesus Christ promises to wipe away every tear, regardless of how deep the wound may be. I wish you a Merry Christmas, because if you have nothing else, you have Jesus if you want him. And if you have nothing else, Jesus is always enough. I wish you a Merry Christmas because Jesus, the King of the universe, the Lord of Lords, he loves you and he knows you and he values you. And that has been proven by his birth, by his life, by his death, and by his resurrection. I love this church so much and um, thank you. There's still a couple of you. Thanks. Thank you for that. Um, no, I really do love you a lot. And um, this team loves you. And um, I think, you know, Kyle and I were talking. This is his favorite service of the year. And, and um, I really liked what Jalen said this weekend because I, I struggle with seasonal depression. I go see a counselor. I've seen a counselor for three years because of the month of December. It's hard for me. And it's gotten better over the years. And it's, it's tough. And the reason December is so hard for me is uh, because my family's discombobulated. I have a great relationship with my mom, but she lives up in St. Louis, and I have a relationship with a couple of cousins and an aunt, but besides that, I don't, I don't really have much biological family. Um, but you are my family. And if you are in this place and you struggle with the month of December, just like all these people said, you're not alone. And all these wonderful gifts that God extends to us, they're, they're available for you and I. I love what Jalen said. Again, we don't, we don't have to live in depression. We don't have to live in fear of the cold winter months and the bad weather and the family issues that we may deal with. The creator God is with us if we want him to be, that we don't have to be alone. Not only do we have Jesus, if you look around this room, you have family. It may not be from blood, but it kinda is, right? because we're all brothers and sisters because of the blood that Jesus Christ shed for us. So we do this every single service at this church and I would invite you to do this with us. A Couple of things, one, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and all the things we talked about today sound appealing to you, how could they not? One of our pastors will be up here on my right, your left on the side of the stage. And if you have any questions, please don't be embarrassed. They'd love to talk with you. We'll also have people at the front of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, listen, if you're one of the people in this room that struggles with this time of year, come up here and let someone pray for you, please. And then the last thing is, all the way around this room, where we see a lamp on a table around the parameter of the room, there's the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the communion. And if you have given your life to Jesus and asked God to forgive you of your sins, you're welcome to take that. And what that reminds us of is this little boy that we celebrate being born in December, he grew up and became a man and he was nailed to a cross for our sins. 
so we could be forgiven and restored. That's why we take communion. It reminds us of the body and blood that Jesus gave for us. It's a beautiful thing, okay? I would like to pray for you, though, before you help yourself. And, and if you go back to your seat, we're gonna sing Silent Night to end it. Beautiful song. And, um, and we'll leave here together, okay? Let me pray for you. Father, God, I love this church so much. God, I love the people in this room, Lord. I pray that you just keep your hand on us, Father. God, I pray that you protect them. I pray, Lord, if anyone in this room does feel alone or depressed or not at peace, they don't have joy, they don't feel love, God, they don't have hope, I pray, Father, that they build a relationship with you and you will give them those things. I pray that we remember the real reason for this time of year, God, that it's not about necessarily what we can get or even what we can give, God, but it's what, the, it's what you've already offered us, Lord, salvation through your son. God, we love you. Protect everyone in this room, Lord. Give them the best December that they can possibly imagine, Lord, and keep your hand on them. God, we love you. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Merry Christmas, church. Love you very much. Merry Christmas.